morning, good morning. Fanga boys on repeat, that is definitely a first. Some of you, it's quite funny actually, like there's like a, just a, like a select kind of age group that understand. So there's lots of you are much too young to know anything about the Fanga boys and some of you are on the other end of that spectrum who are like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Anyway, um, happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, you're so welcome. If you are a guest or a visitor, uh, we're thrilled that you're here. We hope you feel at home and at ease uh, among us. Any of you familiar with the um, comedian Tommy Tiernan? We've met me if you know who Tommy Tiernan is. Uh, he just did a gig in Belfast last week and he got in big trouble because um, he talked about religion and politics. And uh, some, somebody was actually writing in the Belfast Telegraph about how like, absurd it was that he would talk about religion and politics. You know, I'm thinking, a comedian in Northern Ireland, what else would you talk about? Um, anyway, uh, but Tommy Tiernan has this br- brilliant line on St. Patrick's Day. Like, you know, it's funny that it's placed on the 17th of March. I don't know if any of you ever wondered, like, why is St. Patrick's Day on the 17th of March? Like, at some point in history, there was some kind of committee or a group of people that had to decide on what day of the year are we going to celebrate the life of St. Patrick. And they decided, in fact, Tommy Tiernan's line is that it's pure Celtic genius to put St. Patrick's Day right in the middle of Lent. <laughs> you know that moment like, where it's like a bunch of Irish people got together and went, there's no chance we're doing 40 days and 40 nights. It's just stick St. Patrick's Day in the middle and we can all have a bit of a laugh. But we are going to reflect a little bit on St. Patrick this morning. Before we do that, Gareth, can you throw up the picture of William and Val? Some of you will know William and Valerie Shannon. They are currently suffering for the gospel in Southern California. And um, they are out there working with the Anaheim Vineyard and Commonwealth Church in San Diego and uh, meeting people and praying for them and all that sort of stuff. We want to just take a moment and pray for for them this morning as well. So if you wouldn't mind, you can stay seated. Just join me as we pray for William and Val. Father, we are so grateful for William and for Valerie, for their whole family and for what they have brought into this family. God, we are so grateful Um, for the relentless way that they show up every single month on the streets of this city to pray for those in need. And God, we just pray this morning as they're resting and preparing to go out onto the streets of Anaheim and San Diego, that you would meet them powerfully. God, we pray that you would encourage them and even you would surprise them over there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last September... um, Edie Williams and I were sitting in uh, an alpine hut in the Italian Alps, and uh, we'd bumped into a friend of Adrian's on the glacier that afternoon who happened to be staying in the same hut, and we arranged to meet him that evening for a drink while we were kind of resting and recuperating. And so he came over and he sat down, and Adrian and him had a bit of a catch-up, and I did the kind of weird third wheel thing. Have you ever had that moment where like, you're with a friend, but then they see someone else that they know, and then that conversation happens, and you just kind of wait for the conversation to be over. And as that conversation between Edie and this guy was ending, I could feel what was coming next. Happens to me all the time, particularly when I meet new people, and it makes me feel pretty uh, awkward. And so the conversation finished, and then this guy turned and looked at me and said, so Andy, what do you do? And I thought, oh, should I lie? I can't lie, Edie knows. If Edie wasn't here, I'd probably lie, but... 
can't lie, so I should probably tell the truth. And so, so I said, well, actually, I'm a, um, a, a pastor, and uh, hoping that the conversation would like move on quickly. And he came straight back with the worst question someone can ask me after I tell them that I'm a pastor. He said, really? What church? You know, like if we were part of the Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Baptist Church, like it doesn't matter if you have any connection or no connection with church, you have some awareness of those things. But whenever you have to say the vineyard, usually that takes you to the next level of weird and awkward. You know, like whenever we first started this church and we used to meet in Haslam's Lane in the center of town, this is not an exaggeration or untrue in any way. We literally had people come on Sunday mornings looking for alcohol. They, thought we, they literally thought we were an off-license. Where's the, where's the wine? And we're like, oh, communion's next week. Come on back then, you know? And so I said to this guy, well, we're part of the Vineyard Church. And before he could respond, I was into explaining, you know, we're part of this movement. We're all over the world. We're not weird at all. We don't sell alcohol as well as do church. And he kind of interrupted me and was like, oh, I, I know the Vineyard. I was like, really? He said, yeah, my wife was actually just at a vineyard church in Ireland, uh, just south of Belfast. And I was like, like, how far south <laughs> of Belfast? And he was like, like just, just the next city down. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I kind of gently was like, that could very possibly be the church that we're a part of. And like both of us at that point quite nervous because you're waiting for that. Yeah, she hated it. Actually, he said she had an amazing time and we felt quite encouraged, which is the first time ever that conversation has gone that way with a stranger. Usually whenever people find out I'm a pastor and it's not in a context to do with anything to do with church, there's this weird kind of, do you have any kids? (laughs) It's this confusing thing, church. And Lots of us, depending on our experience or lack thereof, can have all sorts of understandings or expectations of what this thing actually is all about. So if you're new this morning, if you've just been around for a week or two, it might be helpful for you to understand what exactly it is that we are trying to do here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. You see, the truth is that we have an agenda There is something that we long for for every single one of you, and not just for you, but for every single person that calls the Lagan Valley region home. This is our agenda, that together we would learn how to surrender our entire lives to the rule and reign of Jesus, and to learn to demonstrate that rule and reign through our lives and in our community for the flourishing of everyone. I know that that seems kind of maybe complicated or heady or wordy, but it is our best attempt at a condensed version of what exactly it is that we're trying to do together. You see, this thing called church is not supposed to be religious ritual. It's not sin or mess management. It's definitely not Christian entertainment, and it cannot be measured by what happens here for an hour on Sundays. That's just impossible. And so we're in the middle of this series called Metrics, where we're trying to measure some things that are connected to this statement. We're, I guess as a group of leaders and staff, we're wanting to pause and ask the question, how are we getting on? What's really going on? Because Sunday attendance It's kind of interesting. It helps us know how many chairs we should put out and if we need to add a service. But 
really there's way more that we're interested in finding out and figuring out. And so week one, we talked about submission to Jesus. How surrendered are we? Now, side note on this, right? So we talked about the metric being baptism. This is amazing, right? Over 50 of you filled in that survey and said that you want to be baptized or you're interested in being baptized here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. That just blew my mind, right? That over 50 of you were like, yep, I need to actually do this. And then we decided, well, we'll do some baptisms. And so we created an event on our website, and we asked you guys that had said that you wanted to get baptized to go and sign up. And uh, to date, we have two. It's like you went, yes, I will do an anonymous survey that says I want to get baptized. And then we do the website we have to actually sign up, and you're like, wait a second. You didn't actually want us to get baptized, did you? Yes. So, if you're here this morning, and you were one of those people that said you wanted to get baptized here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, then do me a favor, go onto the website and sign up. If the dates don't suit you, send me an email, andy at Lagan Valley Vineyard, or laura at laganvalleyvineyard.com, and we would love to uh, organize or arrange another time that we can do that for you. Remember, baptism is not a declaration of mature life, it is a declaration of new life. The only qualification for you to be baptized is that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, I'm stumbling through, I'd be so embarrassed if anybody followed me around during my week and seeing all my mess and mistakes and all that kind of stuff. But in my heart of hearts, I know that I'm doing my absolute best to follow Jesus and you're not baptized, then just do it, please. It's wonderful. And for 2,000 years of church history, this has been the most significant moment of declaration in community that we are actually in Christ that we stand up in front of our friends and our family and we say, with all that we have, we're living for Jesus. And it is the most beautiful thing. And so if you haven't been baptized or you want to be baptized, or maybe you didn't even fill in the survey, but you're just here this morning, you're like, actually, I need to be baptized. Go on the website, the events page, you'll see baptism and sign up. That's really, really important. Last week, Stu spoke about our devotion to Jesus. How regularly do we engage in the scriptures and in prayer? He said this, which I thought was so true and kind of hard-hitting. He said, the reality is that we have absolutely no authority or right to expect God to transform our city or our region if we are not willing to partner with him in transforming ourselves. Wow. The reality is that we have absolutely no authority or right to expect God to transform our region or city if we are not willing to partner with him in transforming ourselves. That's so, so true. And listen, this is really important. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel bad. But partnering with God and the Holy Spirit and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus is the best thing you can ever do for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids, for your work colleagues, or for this community. It's so, so, so important. I just want to say thank you to those of you who filled out uh, surveys over the last couple of weeks. I know it's a bit weird to come to church and fill out surveys, and uh, we will be done in a, few, in a few weeks' time. If you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, but you get emails from us, you will know that the podcast is now live. Go and listen to the last couple of weeks' talks, and you can, in the weekly emails, get the previous two weeks' surveys. This morning, I want to keep going. Around 1,700 years ago, there was a boy living in the northeast of England, and a bunch of raiders came and took him into captivity and slavery and brought him back to Ireland. His name was Patrick. 
Maybe that's a surprise to some of you that Patrick was actually a foreigner. I think in this cultural moment where we are suspicious of those people that aren't from around here, where our posture towards outsiders and foreigners, uh, the ugliness of that in our culture was demonstrated so profoundly last week in Christchurch that Ireland's most famous son was a foreigner. In fact, he was English. (laughs) And he was kept in slavery for six years here in Ireland before he escaped. Patrick spent most of his slavery in the wilds of 5th century Ireland looking after cattle. He wasn't an overly spiritual or religious person before he was captured. But listen to what he wrote about his time here in slavery. He said, After I had arrived in Ireland, I found myself pasturing flocks daily. And I prayed a number of times each day. More and more, the love and fear of God came to me until I was praying up to a hundred times every day and in the night nearly as often. In the wilderness of 5th century Ireland, this slave boy fell in love with God. This is a slight bunny trail, but I think it's really, really important. God doesn't compete in our lives for our attention. He doesn't compete with Instagram or Netflix or your job, or your kids. There's a doorway into the presence of God that's called silence and solitude, and it is so important for all of us to engage in, even if it's for five minutes in the morning or five minutes in the evening, that as Patrick alone on the side of a mountain just began to be aware of his surroundings, he became aware of the presence of God. One night whilst he was sleeping, On the side of a mountain, a voice came to him in a dream. Your ship is ready. Now, he wasn't anywhere near the coast. Seemed like a rather odd thing. But as you learn to walk in friendship with God, one of the things happens is you begin to learn to recognize his voice. I don't need my phone to say, Mom, for me to answer it and know it's her. Remember the days of phones that didn't actually tell you who was calling? We were like schooled in this when we were kids. If the house phone rang, you had to say, hello, who's calling, please? It's like some strange kind of business, you know? But anytime one of my parents phoned me, I know their voice instantly. The more intimate you are in a relationship, the more familiar with a voice. And Patrick had been schooled for years in the voice of God. And so when he had this dream, and this voice comes and says, your ship is ready, he knows instantly that it's God. And he doesn't spend time wondering, what does that mean? He just begins to walk towards the coast. He just gets up from where he is, and he walks towards the coast. And it took him days. And he finally got to the coast, And he convinced a bunch of guys who had a ship there to let him onto it. And he returned uh, back to his home in England. The next 25 years of Patrick's life are a bit hazy. We don't really know too many details. Other than he was so captivated by God, he decided the only thing he could do was go and train for the priesthood. And so he goes to seminary and he becomes a priest. And around 25 years after he had returned to England, he has another dream. And in this dream, he sees the people that took him into slavery. They appear to him in this dream. And this is how he records what they said to him in that dream. We appeal to you, 
holy servant boy to come and walk among us. We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. Up until this time, the gospel had not been brought to Ireland. And Patrick knew this dream was God's voice again coming to him, calling him to go back to Ireland, back to the place that had enslaved him and tell them about the gospel of the kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. What kind of man returns to a place that he was enslaved in? It seems completely mad. But Patrick obeys the call. He's appointed as the first missionary bishop by the church structures of those days. And he sets out to return to Ireland in the year 432 AD. Patrick's mission was unprecedented and regarded as practically impossible. This mission that the church was sending him on with a few friends was unprecedented and it was regarded as practically impossible. Those are two indicators often that God is talking. Unprecedented and practically impossible. I love that Patrick understood that. The consensus of the day was it would be quite likely that the first tribe they approached would slaughter them. You see, the the Christianization of Europe kind of went hand in hand with the Romanization of Europe. So the Roman armies would go and take over and then the church would come and tell people about Jesus. There was this idea that in order to receive the gospel, you had to first become civilized. And Patrick completely bucked that because he wasn't bringing an army with him. There were no swords and there were no spears, just a few friends with a passion to share Jesus with people. And so they got on a boat and they arrived. And when they came to a tribe, they would engage the king or other opinion leaders in conversation and ministry. And then they would begin to look for sick people to pray for. They would look for those who were possessed by demons to deliver them. They would counsel and they would mediate conflicts. They would look for ways to demonstrate the reality of God's rule and his reign. They didn't come with just ideas to try and convince people. They didn't come with persuasive arguments. They looked for opportunities to show the tribes that the Lord Jesus ruled. And so they would pray for barren fields and they would pray for rivers where people weren't catching many fish. And guess what happened? There were incredible signs and wonders and miracles. There were records of like almost like spiritual duels, battles, as the holy men of Ireland would come with their pagan rituals and processes. I mean, it gets so kind of Old Testament in places where Patrick confronts these people with the power of God. And entire tribes come to faith in Jesus. Patrick and his band would seek to demonstrate the presence of the rule and reign of Jesus through their lives for the flourishing of everyone. They would come and say, watch what happens when God's kingdom comes on a place. The fields bear more fruit. The rivers are more full of fish. 
families become healthy and whole. Conflicts get resolved. There's this beautiful picture of flourishing for everyone. They literally spend all of their time looking for those in need and open to the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus. And within Patrick's lifetime, over a quarter of the Irish tribes had converted to Christianity. That's like kind of meaningless to us, right? I mean, 25%, great. What does that actually mean? In today's numbers, that would be around 1.8 million people in his lifetime. From a standing start. Like literally, him and a couple of pals show up. Anyone interested in Jesus? Fast forward to the end of his life. And the equivalent of 1.8 million people worshipping Jesus. One ancient historian reflects upon Patrick's life this way. It says, most certainly he did not succeed in converting all of the heathens of the island. But he won so many of them for Christ. He founded so many churches, ordained so many clerics, kindled such zeal in men's, men and women's hearts that it seems right to believe that to him was directly due the wonderful outblossoming of Christianity which distinguished Ireland in the following ages. One guy says yes to the call of God over his life. That so many of them came to Christ. He founded so many churches, ordained so many clerics, kindled such zeal in men and women's heart that it seems right to believe that to him was directly due the wonderful outblossoming of Christianity which distinguished Ireland in the following ages. This whole idea of submission, surrender, the word submission literally means to come under the mission of someone else. When we submit our lives to Jesus, we come under his mission. What he is doing in the world becomes the most important things to us. We set down our own agendas and we embrace his. What is the mission of Jesus? Stu read it so beautifully and powerfully for us earlier. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. This was literally Patrick's mission. He came under this idea that Jesus had, that those that followed him would be sent into the whole world, talking about the rule and reign of Jesus. Patrick came under this mission, and here we are, 1,600 years later, celebrating his life. A little bit confused about how to, perhaps, certainly in certain sections of our culture anyway. See, in this community, we work quite hard at holding in front of you the bigness of the mission of God, right? That God cares about social justice. He cares about systems of greed. He cares about things like human trafficking. Incidentally, fun fact for you, Patrick was responsible for the abolition of the slave trade in Ireland in the 5th century. We care about this. We care about understanding that if you're a doctor or a dentist or a parent or a teacher or a civil servant, that wherever you find yourself tomorrow, there is work to be done in that place that is connected to the mission of God on earth. But we must never forget 
that at the very center of this big idea, the mission of God is men and women and boys and girls coming into relationship with a God who loves them. At the very center of it is this idea that humanity would be reconciled to God. That through our lives we would look for moments to share with those who need it that God is for them and that he loves them. That Jesus died and rose again to create a way for us to be reconnected with God. Some of you will know that I used to live in Southern California. And one of the things that bothered me in Southern California was it was sunny all the time. Now, I know we live here where we can hear the rain. And you're like, how could you ever be annoyed about it being sunny all the time? Listen, if you just go through years where you hardly see a dark cloud in the sky. It's kind of like being friends with someone who's happy all the time. It's like, I don't think I can trust this person. I used to, this is, this is totally true, I used to long for the rain and cold winds instead of sweltering heat. And I used to have this moment when I was coming home from LA, you know that moment where you're on a plane and it comes, as it's coming into land, it comes underneath the clouds. It was usually Every single time you're flying into Ireland, you have that moment where you have to come under the clouds. And then you would see it. You would see miles of green fields. And you would see like every shade of green you can imagine. And you would see hedges and walls. You would see roads that were built for carts and never widened for cars. And I used to look at this out the window of the plane. And I used to weep. Just coming home, a place where I belong, a place that was familiar, a place that was wild, where it rained and there was wind. I used to cry. I have a friend who talks about home being the place where you can look your worst and feel your best. And the reality is that this thing called the gospel of the kingdom is really jargon for homecoming. That when we come back into relationship with God, our souls literally have that, I'm home. I cannot tell you the number of people in my life that I have led to Jesus, that on the other side of that moment, they go, I just feel like I'm home. Something has changed. I belong. The number of people that come to church here having maybe not been to church for years or maybe ever, that as soon as worship starts, they they begin to cry what's going on. They're experiencing a homecoming that they didn't even know they needed. And by the way, that homecoming is not a converted warehouse. It's the presence of Jesus. That our, our souls were created to be in friendship with God. This is not about a good living gospel or a religious ritual. It is about us living in the presence of Jesus, the very place that we were created to belong. And we betray everything, everything that He is about if we think we can keep that to ourselves. If we think that we can just kind of do the Jesus and me thing over here. Patrick got in pretty deep trouble with the church authorities and hierarchies in mainland Europe. I think that's partly why we made him a patron saint. 
even in his saintliness, there was this rebellious streak in him where he went, I'm not going to do this the way you expect me to. He got in trouble, namely because he was a bishop. And bishops shouldn't engage with uncivilized people. Bishops did two things, really, in those times. They were administrators and they were chaplains. And Patrick was known for spending as much time as he possibly could with pagans and sinners and those that thought they were a million miles from God. Sound familiar? And Patrick defended himself with the biblical mandate that we have reflected on this morning. That the church, the Jesus people, have been mandated by Jesus to evangelize the world. Patrick explained that he was giving his life to help Irish populations be, in his words, reborn in God. Redeemed from the ends of the earth because the church is placed in the world as a light among nations. He said that our calling was to learn to fish well and to catch a multitude for God. Patrick wrote this. He said, this is why it came about in Ireland that people who had no acquaintance with God are recently made a people of the Lord and are known as children of God. This is why it came about in Ireland that people who had no acquaintance with God are recently made a people of the Lord and are known as children of God. So how are we doing? This is a bit we all feel guilty, right? We're talking about evangelistic fervor. We're like, oh no! If I'd known we were talking about that, I might have stayed in bed. See, I think we get confused when it comes to this idea of evangelism. And we think that our job is to convince people that God is real. Or we think that our job is to win some sort of theological or philosophical debate. What if our job was actually just to demonstrate that God is alive and he is good and he loves people? The moment we find ourselves in an argument we've already lost. But what if, just like Patrick and his bands of missionaries did, what if we approached the people around us And the problems in their lives with this simple question. Can I pray for you? Would you mind if I I prayed for you? You see, we actually believe that God's alive. And our prayers reflect that. That when we pray, we expect him to do things. We remembered uh, Robert Florida's life and death this week in, in Crumlin. And I'll never forget the night. I went to help lead the vigil two days after he'd been murdered. And I was introduced to a Catholic gentleman in that community. And someone said, this is Andy. He's the pastor of the vineyard. And his response to me was, I've heard about you. You're the miracle people. It's entirely appropriate that we would be known as the miracle people. Maybe you don't know this. Just about three weeks ago, there was a whole family drove here from Monaghan. Because they were desperate for a miracle for their son and had heard that they could come here to get it. What if they didn't have to drive here? What if this was just normal in your lives, in our lives? What if we didn't think of ourselves as some sort of like special forces kind of Jesus hit and run people? But rather those who would humbly and boldly 
occupy the lives of our families and our communities with a willingness to contend for the goodness of God to be demonstrated in and through our lives. And what if, like Patrick, we stayed for decades? That we weren't nervous about praying for someone and nothing happening because we're going to be there next week praying again and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. This is what it means and it's the kind of community we long to become. I know there are lots of you here because people have been that way for you. And this morning, when it comes to this idea of evangelism, I just want to release you from any sense of pressure or expectation that it's your job to convince anyone of anything. It's not. It's your job to show up and say, can I demonstrate to you that God is real? And that can be in a prayer, in an act of generosity, in a multitude of other incredible ways, whatever the mad, crazy being that God is speaks to you about. We are a sent people, sent to proclaim and demonstrate And we get into slightly funky waters when we become one or the other. When all we do is talk. When Paul reminds us so powerfully that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. But equally, Paul reminds us that we are to be ready when anyone asks, what's going on there? That we go, it's Jesus. That's who is going on here. That's what's going on in my life. What if we became a vehicle for families, little boys and girls, moms and dads, the elderly, the middle-aged, to come home to a God who loves them. And what if it was as simple as repeatedly asking the question, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I want to invite the band to come up and lead us as we uh, move to close. As the guys lead us, my sense maybe for some of you this morning is it's a homecoming moment. Maybe you've been around us for a while. You've been trying to figure this whole thing out. But you know it's time for you to say, God, I know that I'm home. (laughs) And I surrender. Amen. Maybe for some of you, you've found like over the last few years or weeks or months that you've just drifted a bit and you're still trying to do the, the good living thing, but it's lost all of its life. God's presence has become far from you. Maybe this morning you need to just kind of surrender again and, and come home. I want to invite us to do something a little bit different this morning, in this moment. I want you to stay seated. And I want you just to, to, some of you might want to sing along if you want to, but I just want you to close your eyes and I'm going to invite God's presence to um, become aware to all of us. And just watch what happens in your spirit and in your heart and your mind as we, as we do this. You guys ready? So I'm going to close your eyes, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're among us. 
Lord Jesus, we welcome your presence. Would you come and help us to come home to you right now in this moment? God, I release your voice over our hearts and our minds. Let what you think and what you say would become loudest right now in this moment.